Yo, what is up, guys? Welcome to the Tony and Dakota podcast. Today, we got a high-energy guest. Yeah, this guy's pretty special. It's Scott Saylor from Bailey and Wood. Uh, he's a mortgage broker over there, and he is uh, super special to us because when we first took over the Fort Wayne Real Estate Investors Association, he was one of the first guys who said, I will sponsor the events. I will pay the most money. I support you guys. And uh, Scott's just consistently been a giver in both his business, his personal life. Uh, I, I don't know Scott as well as Dakota does, but we'll get into that here in a little bit. I uh, just want to give this guy a warm welcome. He's an awesome dude, Scott Saylor. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, brother. Thanks, guys. I truly appreciate it. I'm, I'm kind of nervous to be here. Man. I'll be honest with you guys. I didn't realize you had the whole setup in here. If nobody's been, if anybody watching hasn't been here before, this place is dope. The, lay, the layout's cool. The setup's nice. The equipment's cool. Yeah, so I'm excited. It's my first podcast. Thanks, man. Yeah, and I was telling you that uh, we got the we got the new camera, so anybody's seeing the high quality and stuff. Scott is first. That's what you get when you sponsor. No, I was kidding. <laughs> hey, don't, don't believe the cameras because I can see all these chins on these cameras. I, don't believe those. Those are too high def, guys. That's all fake news. <laughs> yeah, Tony. Tony said you can see all of his gray hairs yeah, you can in see there. Them in there if you want. Yeah, well. check them out. Uh, if you guys guess how many gray hairs Tony has correctly then we'll give you a special prize <laughs> i don't know what the prize is going to be man i got the i got the good stuff i got fans at almond joys over here so that's that's what the good prize should be do you actually like that stuff i love those okay, man good. those are like the dirty secret <laughs> and i buy the fantas by the little bottle so i don't drink a bunch of them and those almond joys i buy them just like that and i'll scatter them around the office or my house so i find them like easter bunny so yeah i love good. those things good so scott uh, I just want to start off talking about mortgages a little bit. We'll go back and talk about kind of how you grew up later, because I think that's important for everybody to hear, to get sure. an idea. Um, you started off at Chase, it looks like, or that's what I could find in LinkedIn. And then you moved to Caliber. And I'm imagining, I mean, when we went to Chase, they didn't want to work with us for business loans unless we were doing like $10 million a year or something silly and like had bigger profile assets. Was it the opportunity? Is that the reason why you jumped? Uh, actually, so when I first got in the mortgage business, I was selling cars. Oh, wow. So I sold car. I sold buy here, pay here for about two years when I first came home from the Navy. And then so a buddy of mine that used to sell cars with me somehow got over to Conseco Finance. This is in like 2000, 2000 2001, I believe. And he called me one day and said, hey, Conseco Finance is hiring. This is before I knew anything about commissions, draws, anything. He says, come out here to me. They, they're paying 2500 bucks for commission, or it's pre, it's a draw, but they pay it every month, good, bad, or ugly. And back then, I wasn't making much money selling cars. Mm -hmm. So that's how I got into it. But this is back in like 2000, I think. Mm -hmm. I was a mortgage broker for about nine years before I made it to the bank. And then I went to the bank as a result of the Dodd-Frank bill, 07, mm -hmm. 08 stuff starting to happen is when I made the move to the bank. Okay, wow. so you went from Chase to Caliber. Correct. And then from Caliber mm -hmm. to Bailey and Wood. Correct. Uh, did, did you find that, like, it seems like Bailey and Wood is one of the companies, kind of like, you know, there are a couple other competitors here in Fort Wayne who do a lot of business and they do a lot of local business and they're more flexible on the products that they have available. Talk a little bit about what it means to be a mortgage broker, what products you have available to people and, and what a mortgage product even is to like a lay person. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate? It's not like what you see on HGTV. We created a course to show you how to really invest and create a profitable flipping and wholesaling business. We give you marketing strategies like how to pull lists, who we target, and where we find the money. We go over sales, which includes live calls and negotiations, scripts, role-playing, and so much more. Everything that you need to know to flip houses is in this course. And if there's anything that we missed, we will create a video to answer your specific question. This knowledge has made us over a million dollars, and we're selling it today for just $997. Click the link below. So that's a, that's, that's a great question. There is, I think across the board, there's a misunderstanding that mortgages are, I always say it's like going to the store and buying Levi's, right? 32, 32s are 32, 32s, regardless of what city or state you buy those Levi's in. Mortgages are not all created equal, right? You have place, when I was at the bank, for instance, so we wrote conventional mortgages and we wrote VA mortgages. We wrote FHA mortgages, but we did not write USDA. Why that was, not sure. 
But as far as your guys' commercial needs, the, the problem with a bank or credit union, in my opinion, is there's other streams of income coming into that branch. So there's no one avenue that takes precedence or that they really focus on, right? They want to service all avenues of the borrower's needs. But for me, I'm a mortgage only guy. So for us to be competitive in this market, you need to have access to all the products. You need to have access to speed and you need to have access to flexibility. And that's what it all boils down to. There's, there's a handful of really good lending companies in Fort Wayne that do a great job. And there's a handful of really good loan officers out there, probably two or three handfuls, to be honest. There's a, there's a really good community out there, and they're willing to do kind of like what we do with the investor group. If I need help, I can reach out to these people locally. I can call their, the owners of these companies. I can call the managers and ask them, hey, are you seeing these same guidelines? Because we work together to make sure that when a rule is coming down the pipeline, we want to make sure that we're all staying in touch with that rule and trying to honor the nature of that rule so that way we keep it competitive. Okay. Did that answer your question? Yeah, kind of. Um, I, I wondered, you know, there are some mortgage, I, I, guess, I don't know if they would be mortgage brokers because they're basically just individuals at the bank who provide the loans that are available from that bank. It might be right. like a loan and savings bank or a state in a state bank, something right. like that. Um, they're limited to the products that they can provide because they just work for the bank. Correct. Whereas you have access to national loans as well, like government programs, as well as like a handful of others. And even if you can't service them yourself, you can kind of like find somebody to partner with so that you can still get people that other loan type, right? So another great question, by the way. So the for us personally at Bailey and Wood, so we service about 30% give or take of the loans that we write. Mm -hmm. So, but for us, the being a broker, it's a little different compared to how it used to be. The old days, as a broker, I would literally fill out submission sheets for two or three subprime lenders, and we'd send them all in at the same time, wait for the answers to come back, check through the conditions list, figure out which one we like, didn't like. And which, which one didn't require income verification hey, before 2008. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Can you write that down as stuff we can't talk about? <laughs> no, that's part of it, though, right? You, you have relationships with underwriters just like you do real estate agents, mm -hmm. just like you do investors, just like you do car sales. Car sales. There's relationships out there, and you know when hey, the rules are this, and this is where we're going to go because they're a little more lenient, lenient or they're yeah. a little more, you can massage the guides, whatever it might be. But 100%. you have to play inside the rules. You just have to find the relationships that will help you achieve the goal. And a lot of times people, sales and, and ops or underwriting, processing, whatever they call it, are usually at each other's throats most places because it's an us versus them. Mm. When you get somewhere where it's not like that and the egos go away, it gets fun. It gets yeah. fun when you're getting deals closed mm -hmm. in seven, eight, ten days, and these are sticky deals that were turned down somewhere else, and you can get them done and get them done quick. It starts to be fun when you have that competitive advantage. So, so what would you say uh, your niche is? Is that more like the exactly what you just described? <clears throat> VA. For me personally, yeah, I'm a veteran. I'm a Navy veteran. Um, I'm a local guy. I grew up here. I have a really good relationship with a lot of the local agents. When you have a when you have a veteran that's that's my stuff that's okay. that's where i shine now after that and that's probably because of being an, a veteran i want to provide that level of service but aside from that i'm your your clean conventional loan guy they have good credit they have money down we'll close it in a couple of weeks i like it if it's go ahead sorry oh I'm no cut you off no you go oh i was gonna say if it's if it's more of a bruised credit kind of thing you have fha or you have some usda products we have the whole gamut of products. It's just about, e even though we have all those products, it doesn't guarantee that each, each of our competitors have them, but a lot of the brokers offer similar products and the banks and credit unions offer a lot of the same type of stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's not unheard of to shop two or three brokers and then hear about a product that's different if they went to a bank or credit union. So we, we deal with that quite a bit. I like it. Let's Let's go back into your history then. I, I actually did not know that you're a veteran. I don't know how mm -hmm. I didn't know that, but I did not know that. So was that right when you got out of high school? Or like, you know, what did that look like? What happened? What were you like in high school? What happened after high school? And then like, let's talk about the whole trajectory of how this all played out. Oh, man. Oh, man. 
what was I like in high school? <laughs> oh, we'll get our notepad out. You can lay down on the couch if you want. You know what? Embarrassingly enough, I've always been a, a lifelong learner. I've always been interested in learning. I just was trying so hard to be cool back then that you couldn't be a studious person and try to be cool. I didn't think those went together. And <laughs> now the world has changed. It's, we honor the people that cr give a crap about grades and do well and, and go on to be successful, not the guys that are causing trouble and, hey, look at me, I'm gonna get in trouble, get in fights and do all the kind of things that you shouldn't be doing back then, right? I mean, no yeah. fight club at my house, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, you can we, get good grades and have a fight club. Yeah, well, I couldn't. Let, let me rephrase that. Me, and that's probably his limiting belief too. Are we getting those next? So that's, and shame on me, but that's that's how I was in high school, right? I played some sports, hung around some really cool kids, still stay in touch with them to this day, but I just, I just couldn't figure out why it mattered. Mm -hmm. And I was bored and I'd love to tell you it's because I'm so smart, but I don't think I made it out of algebra half because you, know, you gotta go to school. You have to have a desire to learn that stuff, and that never, that never really excited me. I like learning, but learning about the stuff I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. um, so no, going to the military, that was the judge's decision. He thought it was a really good idea for me to get out of Fort Wayne, and he gave me a couple options after going and seeing him a couple times, and turns out, yeah, the military was a really good <laughs> thing for me, so that's how I ended up in the Navy. How old? Um, I went in in 1993, December of 93, December 27th, 1993, I was 18 years old. Okay. I turned 19 in boot camp, missed New Year's Eve. This is how lack of, this is how little lack of planning I have in my life. When you go to Great Lakes, Michigan for boot camp over the winter, because you didn't think through when you were gonna be in boot camp, you missed your New Year's Eve, your birthday, Christmas, I missed all that stuff. Wow. So, but anywho, yeah, so, so that's how I ended up there. What, what was like the, or how long were you there for? And like, what was your biggest lessons that you learned from the military then? <clears throat> oh boy, the biggest lessons. You know what, the, and, I, and I say this tongue in cheek, the lessons you learn in the military is regardless of how you feel, you can get your butt up and go to muster. You have 7 a.m. muster. It does not matter. If you're hungover, great, see you at seven. You're dying, great, see you at seven, then go to med, the medical call. Mm. If you're, you haven't been to sleep yet, you had a fight with your wife, great, see you at 7 a.m. Mm. And when you learn that, that it doesn't matter what happened the day before. It doesn't matter, you just get up and you go do it. It changes how you look at things. When you hear people talk about, oh, I had a bad day with my wife or my husband, I can't go, I don't feel like doing this or that. And then you realize that most of the world probably thinks like that. Yeah. When I don't feel such a way, I, 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 it affects everything you do. And the Navy taught me more than anything that it does not matter because the guy this side and that side needs you. Mm -hmm. And you don't feel great, okay, that's cool. Well, don't feel good over here while you're doing your job. Yeah. So that's probably the biggest lesson. Um, and man, I love the camaraderie. Yeah. I really, I really thrive in an environment where there are more people, there's energy, there's, there's people that you can learn from. I, I thrive in that, in that environment. Are you letting deals fall through the cracks because you don't have good systems in place? We've been there before and we've tried several different CRMs and Ari Simply has been the best. Ari Simply tracks your KPIs, does automatic follow-ups for you, and even records your incoming phone calls. The system is simple to use and has more features than we even know what to do with. If you're looking for a great CRM, try Ari Simply today. We put the link in the description. Check it out now. Yeah. How long did you serve for? Uh, four years. Four, okay. Yep. That's yep. awesome. Four years, thought I knew everything. I was going to be Tom Cruise. I was going to open a bar and do cocktails like the movie. This is, you, got, yeah. you guys probably never even seen the movie, but no, I thought I was going to buy a bar. I was actually selling cars and bartending at Red Robin when the mall first opened the Red Robin store. So wow. that, that was part of my Tom Cruise dream that went by the wayside and then back to the mortgage business. So yeah, walk us through exactly what happened after you got out of the military then. So you went to Red Robin, did you go straight there or what happened after? Um, so I came home, I was actually I was actually married to my high school sweetheart back wow. then. That was like an onion over here, bro. You're peeling the layers back here. <laughs> <laughs> You're like Oprah, man, you, you get to cry, you get to cry. So, uh, so yeah, I was actually, so right there behind us, I know you guys don't know where there is on TV or whatever, but or on, online, but just a block away is where I used to live when I was m first married to my high school sweetheart. Went to the military, came home, we got divorced, met my wife, she got pregnant. Then you realize, oh, 
Yeah, so bartending and selling a few cars for me wasn't the life that I wanted, and it definitely wasn't the life we wanted for our kids. Mm -hmm. So she looked at me one day and kind of said, hey, you need to probably do something with yourself. And then my buddy happened to reach out, and that's kind of how I got in the car in the uh, the real estate business, or mortgage business. Who's the buddy? Uh, Gene, he's dead. Mean Gene, I used to call him. Mean Gene Okerlund from the wrestling guy. He was a, yeah, he was a sharp guy, man. Matter of fact, the guy that I first, when I first, do I have time to tell this story? Yeah. yeah. So the very first guy I ever met at Conseco Finance, Stan Fluger, God love him. He's a starter over at River Bend um, Golf Course. Now he lives on the pond with me at, at in Pine Valley. But so I walk in, I'm probably 22, something like that, 23 maybe 24, somewhere in there. Anyway, I was younger. I was that kind of young where you, know, yeah, the, you, you had any, no scar tissue yet. You know what I mean? You're just like, ah, the world's still good. Stan shows me a $7,500 paycheck mm -hmm. and goes, what do you think of that young man? And I about shit my pants, excuse the French there. I about shit my pants. I didn't know people made that kind of money. My dad was a garbage man. My mom was a screen printer. Mm. She made about eight, nine bucks an hour and he made who knows what. And, mm -hmm. and I thought we were doing just fine. I had two parents that still lived together when I was young, both had jobs. So we were, we were doing very well. I had no idea that people made that kind of money. I didn't, I couldn't even fathom it. And I literally started the same day. So that's my, uh, what's the movie? Uh, Wolf of Wall Street. That's my Wolf of Wall Street, the original one. Yeah. And then when Conseco Finance closed, <laughs> we showed up, keys didn't work. The guy goes, hey, anybody want any of the equipment in here? I said, yep. I took all the equipment, put it out on North Anthony, sold it all. Then I became a mortgage broker. <laughs> oh, my God. That's exactly how my entry went, man. So, yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, I know that, you know, there are folks who uh, I've talked to in the past that are mortgage brokers, and they talk about, like, they, they don't like to talk about the money so much, but I know that there's a lot of money in it, and I know a lot of people who end up in the mortgage industry and end up being, like, like pretty successful salespeople. So I know that the, there's a, a high end or, uh, you know, you would be approaching multiple six figures as a good mortgage broker. Has that kind of been your experience? How likely is it that, you know, somebody who gets into the mortgage industry and stays in is going to perform that way? How long did it take for you to become a top producer? Hmm. Boy, that's, that's a real that's a really good question and and I think most I think most people think profit is a bad word mm -hmm. right I I don't feel that the world expects you to do anything for free so I don't know why they have trouble talking about it maybe and some of it might be competitive people don't want to know what this mm -hmm. company's paying excuse me guys they don't want to know what a certain company is paying or they the, but it's all about the same I mean truth be told a, a banker, so when I went to Chase Bank, typically, like I can give you examples, I know Three Rivers, there's a couple other banks, they typically pay you a salary, right? And then they pay you a smaller basis points based on your closed loans, right? Mm -hmm. Use 200 grand for example, right? Mm -hmm. If you're paid 100 basis points on 200 grand, you make 2,000 bucks, right? We call it basis points, we don't call it commission, realtors call it commission, we call it basis points. So if you make 100 bips, you're making 1% in commission. We call it basis points for some reason, because it's kind of how it works when you're the, the adjustments to the rates. Anyway, well, that's a, that's a one off, but that's why we call it basis points. But the average mortgage broker uh, going to or the average lender going to a bank, you usually make a salary and then they'll pay you overages at the bank. There weren't there weren't tons of people that were just killing it, mm -hmm. right? The bank is where you typically land when you don't want to go out and eat what you kill, mm. right? You want to set up there with your shirt and your bow tie and your name tag at 830 in the morning and you do your huddle and you, you guesstimate on how many people you're going to see that day. And that's all you do. You don't leave the branch to go hunt. So the comp plans are much lower at the banks and typically the credit unions than they are at a brokerage, right? Basis points per deal. But there's a lot of business that comes through the door out of Three Rivers, out of Hallmark, no, not a Hallmark, but like a, oh, a Lake City Bank, Star. or a Fire and Police Star, yes. You know, they have really good products over there, and they have good comp plan, but it's just not the same as what you get paid when you go out and hunt yourself. Mm -hmm. So for an average loan officer coming into this business, you probably make somewhere between 
85 basis points all the way up to 140 to 175 basis points per transaction. So same 200,000 that you make typically 100 bips on it. We gave the example of earlier, a normal lender with experience is probably making 125 to 140 basis points, give or take. That's what our surrounding area is. Mm -hmm. So you can do the math. That's why we try to explain to our realtors, we have to do twice as much business to make the same money. Mm -hmm for just one side, the 3% versus our one point something that we make, right? So that's that's a good average for what they earn. I mean, if you just do the math as a lender, if you're doing a million bucks a month and you're making you know, 1.3, 1.4, 1.5 basis points on a million bucks, you're making 12 to 15 grand a month. You do 2 million, you're making 30. You do 3 million, you're making 45. Now, if you have a different comp plan, and there are different comp plans, you might be making a little more, a little less, depending on what you do, but no, if you're working your butt off, you should be making, you know, a quarter of a million bucks a year. I mean, if you're having really good years, like, gosh, Stephanie Van Hoot in our office just crushed it. Steve Hostetter is killing it. Paul Lang up north is crushing. I mean, these guys are making, you know, they're doing very well for themselves, but they're they're doing 30 plus million a year, mm -hmm. you know? And it. so for me personally, I think one of the questions was how long until you kind of got a handle on things. I was a mortgage broker for nine years before I knew anything really about the lending industry when i went to the bank is when i became a loan officer because you had checklists you had submission checklists so you couldn't be sloppy anymore mm -hmm. you had to understand your guidelines you had to understand your findings when you ran it through it had to be tight when you submitted it or they kicked it back mm. so by default you became a good loan officer from there i went to caliber caliber everybody wanted to eat everybody was hungry everybody was doing high numbers down in indy so you don't want to be the office up north that's getting shit on you know it's not doing great yeah. so you want to grind and that's when i became a loan officer learned how to get realtor business and i don't know if that answered the question or not but i felt like that was the direction we were going so yeah yeah who that's you, that's the gist so who is in like the top you know 10 15 percent like how much do they make you think or like is there anybody oh, that can man. make a million a year absolutely okay there are people doing it now i mean hell if you make i mean there's guys on our team down in indy that are that are making over a million dollars a year i okay. mean the volume all you do is look at the volume if you get up to that 50 million ish range 60 million 70 million I mean, there's guys down our indie office that did 100 plus million last year. So, oh, wow. Oh, yeah. There's hammers out there. There. Well, if you look in the Scotsman's Guide, yep. which unfortunately for me, I did not make the 1% list, but Steve, Paul, Stephanie, these guys that are on our team all made top 1% last year. Wow. That's 1% in the country. Wow. So that's a big deal considering we are what they call Indiana is high volume, or excuse me, high volume, low loan amount. Yeah. So they actually get, it's almost like a handicap. Yeah. for the Scotsman's Guide, they, because they know you're going to have to write a lot more loans to get to the volume that, you know, the Oregon people get to or Washington State because those loans are bigger. Yes. And then likely you're going to need a transaction coordinator. Are you guys allowed to hire in people to assist with the loan processes oh, and that sort yeah. of thing? Yeah. Okay. So then how do you become a top producer? What are the steps? Because, like, I imagine there's a turning point because – I don't know if it was just you build a bunch of relationships and then those people referred other people and those people referred people and you just treated everybody right and you accumulated slowly or if there were some turning points where you're like man when i learned these sales skills it changed the game when i learned this marketing strategy it changed the game when i bought the crm it changed the game is there anything along the way that you're like a, a they flipped a switch and all of a sudden you were making double what you made last year that's, that's a really good question. You guys should think about opening up a podcast, man. <laughs> these are great questions, man. Like, if you guys just came up with these, you guys are pretty good at this. <laughs> so uh, there was, believe it or not. So <clears throat> I am a uh, habitual skimmer. I skim everything, right? I don't read every note. Ah, I get the gist, guys. I get it. So when I was at, when I was at Chase Bank, my old boss used to come to me because I would complain and I would bitch about realtors harassing. Like, why are they harassing me? I told them, we're good. We'll close on time. You know we're going to close on time. And and they would still call and they would text and they would email. And I was just blown away. Nine years I've been in this business, right? I'm, I'm awestruck that these people want us to communicate more with them. So we start talking. He's like, well, how often do you update them? I'm like, well, if they call. 
He said, so the only time you update your agents that are waiting on a paycheck because they're not getting paid until that deal closes, which supports their family, goes on vacation, whatever it does for them. And these people, the clients who are possibly selling a home and buying a home have all this stress on them and they're never hearing from you unless they call you. And I went, yeah, I, I couldn't even understand the problem with that. <laughs> never looked at it from their perspective. And that's probably the beginning of my journey of servant leadership. Then you start to understand, right? And when you start to understand, you realize how much you don't know. And then it gets a little scary at first. And then you start to go, oh my gosh, all these people want is us to talk to them. They just want to hear from us. Even if it's no news, just resetting the, the clock with them on a Friday. Hey, there's nothing new to report. Just want you to have a good weekend. Just something as simple as that keeps the calls down. It keeps the emails down because people know what's going on in their file mm -hmm. and the realtors know what's going on in their file. So when I made that little adjustment to understanding why they were calling and what they were looking for, or like I said, when I became a loan officer, mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of when things changed. And then when I left the bank and then you got around hunters, when you got around grinders, whatever you want to call them, the, the us's of the world, mm -hmm. right? Where people wake up and go, oh yeah. When they're licking their lips, they're ready to go to work and they want to compete. It's much different environment when you're in that environment than you are a passive environment where you just sit back and wait. Mm -hmm. So, did that explain it? Like, uh, mm. yes. <laughs> yes, yes, right? Yeah, what I've noticed is uh, I've actually talked to Tony a lot about this and other people, but I, it bothers the crap out of me when I go to these banks and you can tell they work on salary. Like, and I'm like, dude, you're taking like five, six days. Can you work on commission? It's so interesting how people get so upset about people making money whenever they work on commission, um, especially with like loans or cars or anything like that. But then like whenever you don't get the service that you want because somebody's an hourly, um, like you don't get the same service, I feel like, because now it's not it's not their reputation, it's not their income, and they don't it's care. It's not as urgent. Much. Yeah, it's urgency. So and, and uh they're not as uh, what's that word that we usually use just with the C? Assertive? Like, oh. No, it's uh, not compliant. Something like that. Competent. Yes, competent. <laughs> They're not as competent. Yeah. They, they, they don't learn as much. They don't see it as their craft. They see it as a job as opposed to where you see it as your career. There's a big difference, I feel like, whenever you're going from a salary position and your commission. Because when I was in car sales, dude, it was not a job for me. That was my, that was my income, and I was going to be a master of it. I was going to be the best. It felt as if I had a business inside of a business, which is essentially what you guys have. You have a business inside of another business. Um, but whenever your salary it's a job. And so I think that's the biggest difference that I see. I don't know if you feel like you notice a difference in the two different people there. Man, again, these are, these are all really good questions, guys. Um, so Mike Wood, I don't know, is this my camera here? Mike yeah. Wood, if you're listening, salary is okay for me, brother. If you, want, if you want to send a salary my way, Mike, that's totally fine. I want to clear that up. I don't want you to hear that, Mike. Salary is no good. So, But I agree. I, I agree that so the, the problem is in any industry, regardless of the compensation, there are going to be the people that rise to the top, mm -hmm. right? That's just how it is. Yeah. And then once those people figure out that, hey, I am valuable and I have a really good skill set, the, the natural tendency for me anyway was to go out and talk to other people who are doing it at a higher level than me and ask them what they're doing and how they're doing it. And I, I think the banks and the credit unions don't, and Three Rivers probably being the exclusion because a lot of those loan officers go out and hunt mm -hmm. and get their own business and they're wonderful. Some of the, the, the bigger national banks you have someone that's managing that department that typically has never originated loans. Mm -hmm. So, and I don't care what industry it is. I know management, you manage people, I get it. But there is still something about knowing the guy that you're taking in direction or directions from, that guy or gal has boots on the ground before. They've been through what you're going through. And when, I mean, just from a business perspective, if every time I went to call someone that's value, valuable or, or needed in my business, in my industry, and I'm on a three hour time difference, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that's probably gonna hurt. Yeah. And when underwriting at the bank or the credit union, excuse me, is on different time schedules, and they're not dealing with, if you sent me a lead and I call them back and I'm busting my butt for you, 
that's different than getting a lead from someone that's online because they don't know what our market's like. They don't know the urgency level. They don't, there's just, there's just different levels of competency, you know, and, and not to throw mud at anybody, but when I was at the bank and most people don't know this, you don't have to have a mortgage license to originate loans at the bank. Mm, you use their license? Yeah, you you operate under theirs. Oh, so we're under yeah we're under different rules. We have continuing education every year. We have to take a license and an exam test, and they're hard. Mm -hmm. They're very hard. I mean, and I'm not saying that the bank isn't isn't competent. There are people that are better everywhere. You know, you could walk sure. in our office and get different information from room to room. Typically, mm -hmm. the tests are even harder if you used to scam and you were being cool in high school. <laughs> well, I, I will tell you this too. It, those tests are geared for the consumer, right? If you're if you're trying to take the test and you err on the side of caution, and it's always to the benefit of the consumer, the tests really kind of tell you what the answers are. Mm. You just have to be willing to go, okay, let's think about this for a minute. What are they? What's the goal ultimately of having to have this license and do continuing it to prevent yeah. fraud and scammers? And so, if you just think from that perspective, the test gets much easier. But I am a good guesser, so it's a <laughs> yeah. I, I usually am too. What I will say though is, even if even if uh, you know the competency is the same, let's just say it is, the hunger is always going to be different. If if you put me on a salary, I'm gonna work less hard than if I'm on commission. It just is what it is. You put me on a salary, it's gonna happen. It does not matter because I'm now no longer there. There's no benefit to me. So what do I want to do? If you put me on a salary, I'm a logical thinker. I'm gonna play a strategy. I'm gonna work as little amount as I possibly can, make the same amount, and then I'm gonna go do something else if I want to make more money. But I'm not gonna like you know. I always want to exceed whatever I'm getting. So let's say I'm getting two hundred thousand dollars. I want to make sure that I'm worth at least three hundred thousand dollars because I'm gonna make sure that you get. More more than what you're paying for. But I still will try to do that with as little amount of effort and as work as possible. Whereas if I got to eat what I'm like uh, killing, dude, I'm I'm going all the way in and I'm working really hard because I think that's so important to set people up for that. And that's the way that we set people up whenever they work for us is every single job, I don't want a salary. I don't want you hourly. I want you to be able to have infinite amount of income. That way you never stop growing. You never get a cap. You never have to decide, you know what, you know, I'm good now and like I'm, I'm done growing. You can go as far as you want, as big as you want. And there's a never a cap on it. And that's the way we set up every single person. It's difficult in some positions, but I think it's very important because yeah, again, the competency can be there, but I think the hunger is, is all in the structure and the way that you set it up. I, I agree hundred percent. If you gave me the option of hiring a rough around the edges, aggressive salesperson, I'll take that guy or gal and round the edges off him or her over taking Mr. Miss passive. Yeah, that is and there's nothing wrong with this. You just have to understand people's strengths and weaknesses. But having a checklist person, or what I call an ops person? Yep. There's nothing wrong with that. You just have to make sure they're in the proper role. Yep. Because there is a role for that person. Yep. And and I think we do ourselves a disservice if we only try to hire those crazy salespeople that are grind, 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 you have to hire people there there has to be roles there has to be competency levels and not only that you you want a different mesh of people in the yeah. office i think it makes a difference yeah but no i would if you gave me the choice of taking salary over being able to well go to the gym at nine make a few calls from 10 30 to 11 30 come in here at 2 30 and do a podcast yeah. and then go hang out i'm having dinner with some past clients tonight yeah you give me that option or i have to be at chase bank and this is my only reference because that's the only bank sure. i've ever worked for but if you give me that option to make triple, quadruple what I used to make, plus the autonomy, the problem for me, and this is why I think the military helped me, is I do need structure. Mm -hmm. And I recognize that now. So to our point earlier, what we were talking about off air, was the uh, going getting out of the home. Like for me, working from home, Ah, we just call it watching Netflix from home. I'm not working out. I yeah. might text a few people, but typically, yeah. ah, yeah. But when I'm at the office, I all I do is hear my daughter in the other room calling, talking, and texting and grinding. I'm like, what am I gonna do? Sitting here and just I mean, look at my phone? No, I'm gonna have to grind too because yep. her energy's up. So I agree. I need to get out of the house to go work. But yeah, that's my experience. Yeah. You uh, sponsored the our Fort Wayne Real Estate Investors Association. Why? Truthfully, I just want to be around you guys, man. I mean, I'm serious. I, I think the opportunity exists to get into someone's stratosphere and go with them. I firmly believe that, mm -hmm. right? You surround yourself with good people. I'm 48. 
you guys, I mean, I'm almost old as you guys combined, but <laughs> I'm serious. But you recognize, I mean, I say game, recognize game. That might be a little of my rap history <laughs> showing through. But when you recognize that and you see that, you go, man, I don't know why I keep, it, you just want to lean into it. And that's where I think mentally, physically, we start having that grind is when you're, when something feels right and you're pulling away from it, you know what I mean? Or, or vice versa, when things feel wrong, but this is all you've ever known, and you're still leaning into it. Your your mind and body start to tell you. It's like sandpaper. You just know when you should be doing things and when you shouldn't. Mm -hmm. And once I met you, and then I met you, and you and I really, until that last meeting, hadn't really talked a whole lot. But just meeting you, you're dope. You're a good person. You're doing the right thing. And then when Raylene came on board, and, and obviously I have that relationship with her for 25 years, and I think it was a no-brainer. We just wanted to be a part of something that we see that's bigger than ourselves mm -hmm. and something that we feel like we can bring some value to the community and just to be a part of something that, that we're interested in. Long answer, sorry. Awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. That is crazy, too. Uh, um, for anybody that doesn't know, the way that uh, Scott and I met, as he just messaged me on Facebook. <laughs> it was like, It's kind of weird now I think about it, but, hey, you know, you, you see it. Game recognizes yeah. game. You see someone who's winning, and, and for me, I'd rather be that weird dude and message you go, hey, bro, you're killing it. Why don't we grab lunch? Then you become this super uber successful guy. And I could have been in your stratosphere. I could have been like, I could have known that guy I could have been a part of the growth or, or maybe there was something there for me to learn from you. And I'd rather be embarrassed and less pride. Yeah. Less prideful as I go through life. Now that I'm getting a little older, the 25 or six year old me would have never reached out to you. Yeah. Because it was my, you were my competition, right? And I saw it that way. Now I don't see it that way. I go, man, this dude's doing it at a high level. Let me grab this dude and see what they're really all about. So yeah. just a, just a, a change in thinking. 100%. So you, what was the reason that you did reach out then? It was exactly that. It's like, all right, dude, exactly I got it. Exactly what it was. Yeah. Yeah. You were killing it, dude. Yeah, that was it. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm proud of you guys, man. I, I'm, I have a front row seat. You yeah. know, I don't think it's fun to watch people succeed. And the funny part is you still hear, hear people bitch and complain about stuff. And it's like, you have never met these guys. Yeah. You've never met them. If you're talking like some people talk, you've never met these dudes. And that's all I say. Once you've talked to them, then come back to me and tell me what you think. Well, who's talking shit? Oh, I got a list. I got, I, I got a list. I got a list for you guys. We used, to have, a fight, we used to have a fight club. Wait, is there another double X hoodie? <laughs> I was on Dakota. I was like, hey, you know, we need to get back to our roots. I want to do some, like, uh, LTD property group versus, uh, you know. At least get gloves. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. That's what I said. Oh, yeah, we're definitely doing gloves. I was like, dude, as long as it's sanctioned and stuff, I don't think that people would have a problem with it. Tony's like, I think it'd be bad publicity. I'm like, nah, as long as we're doing it, like, legitimate, then I think we could go and fight some people. And we're knocking right. the hell out. Competition, yeah. <laughs> just, just back to our roots. Like, hey guys, I don't want to beat this guy up, but I kind of have to out of principle. He's been talking some crap. He's got, he, he's nah. got to throw Rolexes into the crowd. No fight for those. That's just on the line. Dakota's Rolex is on the line. Dakota's going to fight a lot harder if that's true. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, I don't feel, I obviously don't even feel the need to prove anymore. That's the funny thing is, like, I've gotten to a point now where I, I don't have to prove anything to anybody anymore, which is funny because a lot of times you have that chip on your shoulder whenever you first get started where you feel like you do have to prove it. And honestly, I kind of want somebody to come and freaking, like, get me pissed off again to where I do have to prove it because then I am, like, I'm a dangerous person. I feel like when you get me in that mode, it's, it's kind of bad and good, but I don't know if you relate to this uh, at all, but I, you get kind of tunnel vision into where I'm like, dude, I'm going to prove you wrong. It could take five years, but like, I'm going to, I'm going to win, but then I'll forget everything else that maybe is important. So it kind of gets me sidetracked sometimes, but I will get whatever goal I'm going after. Have you ever done that anytime in your life? Mm, boy, that's, yeah, that's a loaded question for me there. So I, so I have some attention deficit issues, right? Mm -hmm. So when I do get into something, I'm very much into it. And that can be good or bad. Yeah. I mean, it's just being honest, right? Sure. So no, I, I understand the idea of getting not, a, I'm not even pigeonholed, like someone else is putting you in that role, but you getting so focused on the outcome that you don't enjoy the journey. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's probably been my biggest struggle. I'll be happy when. Yes. Oh man. Once we figure this out or once we get to this level or, oh, once you make six figures, then all my problems go away. <laughs> what? Yeah. They never go away, man. You just get better at handling them. 100%. And I, I, yeah, I think that's a, uh, for me, anger, I, 
man, I'm trying to raise my vibrational frequency. You know, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if you guys are into all that, but oh, yeah. I, I feel 100% that you, you understand when you're around things that attract or they're repelling you for a reason. And I'm trying to have better thoughts on a consistent basis. And I mean that like minute by minute. I mean, I'm constantly pushing that. So I'm trying to be more, oh, more, I don't know, more aware, more in tune with how I'm feeling about things. And I, the anger part for me has always been a crutch. Mm -hmm. When I needed something, I could make myself mad about it. It works in sports, it works in business. And it doesn't have to be that for somebody, but for me, it's always been a, oh, like, like I tell my daughter, remember, you wanted this. Like, she keeps pushing me, Dad, you need to go do this. We need to get back to it. I'm like, remember, you wanted this. Yep. Because there was, a, there was a time in my life when my relationship suffered as I grew my mortgage business. And something gives, right? You put more time here. There's only so much time in a day. Something, the three-legged stool, right? They don't stand if all three legs aren't mm -hmm. the same length. And you run into that. Yeah. And you guys, you're not married. Tony, you're not married, right? We're both, we're both divorced. Both divorced. Okay, so you've been there, done that. You know what it is to be putting that much energy and effort into a relationship and have it not work out. It saps some of your whatever it is that you have going. So you, you have to be more careful who you're around, what relationships you get into. So... Yeah, to your point, yeah, the anger part, I've, I've used that for many, many years. I'm trying to stay away from it now, Yeah. but the ego part has probably brought me a lot of success, but it's also cost me relationships and friendships and things that I wish I wouldn't have been so brave or so brash about looking yeah. back, but no, I agree. What, what do you think, uh, like, what are the tactics that you're actually using? You say that, like, you know, you've been getting into it a lot. Like, what do you do whenever you start to get in those negative thoughts or whenever you're about to hit anger? Like, do you, what's your self-talk like? Well, you want the real words? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so what I, for me personally, sorry, guys, for me personally, what I have found is I, I whisper sweet nothings to other people. I okay. try to meet them where they are, right? Mm -hmm. To help coach them up or mentor them. For me, I take a little different approach for me. So my, uh, my assistant, shout out Lacey Robinson, you're awesome. <laughs> but uh, she bought me a calendar. I can curse on here, right? Yeah. The calendar is called How to Unfuck Yourself. Okay. So that's that, a book, yep. If it's a book, I didn't know yeah. that, but she bought me the calendar, right? And so I'm going through it. And so it's very easy to lose your purpose. For me, we had kids early, right? Mm -hmm. And that was, that's why I went to work. That's why I was doing the things I do. So I didn't even know people went on spring break. I didn't know that was a thing until we moved out north. Mm. We had never been on spring break. We didn't even know that was a thing. And then the kids, oh, we're going to Siesta Key in Orlando. And we're like, who's going there? We, what do you mean they're all going down there? We didn't know people went on spring break. And then, so then we were like, well, we want to go on spring break. Our kids want to go on spring break. So that was my motivation. Well, now my kids are gone. I'm an empty nester, man. Mm. My wife and I have been together for, shoot, 20, uh, 25, six years. Wow. I mean, and we're empty nesters and we're sitting around kind of looking at each other now going, yeah. we used to have stuff to talk about and do, and you have to find purpose. And when yeah. you, when you have it, it's so easy, but when you don't have it and you're looking for it, Man, it's it, there's a lot of things pulling at you if you don't have good focus. I yeah. guess. What are you so, doing now to find that uh, new purpose? Is there anything that you're doing? For me, it, it starts every day. So I have to win the more. I, I have to win the morning, right? I have a, a routine I do every morning. I before I roll out of bed, I'd go for my gratefulness. It could be the hot water, the toothpaste, the the blankets are warm, the fan's still running, my alarm went off. I go through four or five things that I'm grateful for. I get in the shower at 7.30 every day. I do arm circles. I know people make yep. fun of me, but Dave Linsmeyer, shout out. He and I went through the whole process of what we do to get our morning right. And every morning, I've been doing these for like 10 years, eight years now. I do 25 arm circles while the shower's warming up. I do it. I have my little list of affirmations that are in my little waterproof thing that's set in the shower. And I just read through those in the morning. I listen to morning motivational every day. Uh, but yeah, I my morning matters mm -hmm. for me. If I get the morning right, everything else just feels like it just flows. Yeah, It feels right. So that's, that's what I do. I try to be consistent. I try to be consistent with what time I go to bed. I try to be consistent with what I'm putting into my brain, what I'm listening to, the people I'm hanging around. That helps me a lot. Mm -hmm. um, when I get the, the negative self-talk happens when I procrastinate, mm. right? And I beat myself up, man, about it. I mean, I'm my worst enemy. When it, if, if something needed done and I didn't get it done and it cost me something, oh, I let myself know. I remind myself and know uncertain words that this is what you're trying to avoid. This is not who you are anymore. You're better than this. This isn't what the guy 
of 10 years from now would do. Mm. And that part helps me. I, mean, I don't, uh, that, that's kind of my own little mental thing. I don't, I'm not a checklist guy. I'm not a spreadsheet guy where I do certain things every day. I just kind of keep a mental note. And now as I'm getting older, you can start to feel when it's off a little, right? Yeah. And then you're like, all right, reset. We're not going to do this. Get back into what you were doing. And that's, that's kind of how I handle it. Does that answer your question? Yeah. I feel like you, you you said a lot of stuff here that's actually very helpful, and I don't even know if people realize like how helpful it is. So there's a there's a something that you said earlier too. There's whenever you reached out to me and you're like, dude, you know, it might be weird and stuff, but I'm willing to put myself out there. That's weird. I, I think about an analogy I heard it one time, and there's a guy that was basically talking about how he's just a weirdo, and he's just like, hey guys, I sell uh, popsicles. And uh, he just goes and tells everybody that he's just a weird dude. Like, and you're like, dude, that guy's freaking weird. And then you hear somebody's like, hey, man, I really want a popsicle right now. Dude, I know this guy. So it's crazy how, like, even if you're willing to put yourself out there and be weird, like, you're more likely to get it than the cool person that just doesn't say anything. It's like, all right, people are going to come to me. No, dude, you got to be weird and you have to be willing to put yourself out there. So whenever you say that, I thought about that analogy of, like, somebody who's a little bit different. And then, yeah, just like what you talk about there is, like, uh, Gary Breck always says, if your morning is hard, your day will be easy. So like, if you do the hard things in the morning, then yeah. it is, it's crazy how much different agree. your day can be. And if you already accomplished a lot for the day, for me, I, I accomplished so much in the morning that even if my day goes to crap, I still have a good day because I still did everything that was important to me in the morning. So like my routine is, you know, like very spiritual, very workout, and then has like, you know, cold showers, different things like that. But I'm it's like, there. it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter what happens the rest of the day. I'm already successful for that day so yeah. the rest is already just you know icing on top of the cake basically so yeah there's a lot that you said there that I think is very helpful hopefully you guys are listening yeah I, I for me when I so I, I draw motivation from sometimes challenges you know see like the cold water thing man I'm trying fellas I'm trying I'm not there yet but I'm trying uh, like I just start when I shave now I just do the three handfuls of the iciest cold water I can yeah just to get like okay let's just get my body used to this right because yeah. I've done the the polar plunge and <laughs> man I don't know if I could do it every it's morning brutal. I, oh it's brutal but I understand like yeah. by the third splash on my face I've turned my brain off enough to know that this is just what I'm doing. It doesn't matter that's cold. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it stops being cold at some point, maybe. It does. When you're in there. But and there's a lot of benefits for inflammation and mental. There's a lot of stuff that goes with cold. I just eh, I'm not yeah. ready yet. But I, I actually just made a post about it today. I never want to do it. There's not one day that I want to do it. Not one time have I ever wanted to do it. If anybody knows me, they know how much I hate the cold. Like so, so much. But I just do it, and then because I, I do, I know the benefits of it. And again, I just make myself do the hard things. I'm like, dude, it sucks. I'm not gonna lie, it does suck. But it is also great at the same time. But if you do hard stuff like that, excuse me, at some point the regular stuff starts to feel regular and easy. hundred percent. You know, I I agree with that. And I get lazy, man. That's I go in 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 ebbs and flows, right? Yeah. Where you get excited about stuff. That's one of the things I love about you got to follow all your stuff, all the training, the 10x events, the the different stuff. You guys are reaching out to people that are doing what you want to do at the highest level. Yeah. And you're not afraid to go spend money on yourselves. Mm -hmm. I hear so many people, they're so cheap about they'll they'll buy these fancy cars and they've got these big beautiful homes with lawn furniture in them and they won't spend any money on themselves they won't 100%. they won't yeah they don't it, it, i guess for me i've always viewed and like i tell my kids you are a business mm -hmm. whether you know it or not from the minute you walk out of the house from what you post what you tweet what you say what you email what you text what you wear drive look like you're a brand mm -hmm. just take time to surround yourself with other people that are going to help you promote that and it's it's amazing what you can accomplish. But. Yeah, that's great advice. Cause yeah, that's the funny thing is a lot of people don't know either. Is that like uh, Tony and I, if you ever see our houses, like they're not anything spectacular. They're pretty average. Uh, Tony just got his house, but it's it's nice. Now yeah, it's Andrew, like, Andrew and Dakota got me my house. Wait, 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 wait. I, that's impossible because there was financing. I didn't get, hey, I didn't get the financing on that one. We'll talk to Tony. Well, I, was subject, I, subject I, got, to. I got it on here. I got my mortgage. No, it's, uh, it's uh, seller financed. I got 4%. 
keep it. Thirty year am, five year balloon. But I I'm gonna ask you about that here in a second. Keep it. <laughs> keep that. Keep that. There's nothing out there that even touches mm-hmm. that. Well, keeping it for well, he's keeping it for as long as he can. Then hopefully within five years we're gonna get uh, lower. But the main point is that uh, we invested so much money in ourselves. Like everybody thinks, like you know, now I just bought a Rolex, and they're like, oh man, he's balling. No, dude, like. You know how many times ago, like, you know, when I was making multiple six figures in, in car sales, I could have done it then. No, never spent a dime on anything like that. I invested into real estate and then we went, I mean, 25 went freaking five years now and barely bought anything. I still drive the same car. But we've been to a seminar about every two months. Yeah, so we spent every probably like months. 60 to $100,000 on investing in ourselves, which is like, you can, we'll never, that's the crazy thing that people don't realize. I was actually just talking to Adelie um, Honaker about this. She's a real estate agent. It's interesting to me that people think that uh, um, money is different than like working out, let's say. You see a professional athlete, you know they put in the work. It wasn't just natural talent that gets you to that highest level. It's because of consistent daily action. The same yeah. thing is true about like uh, a business, but people don't see it that way. They think, oh, they just got lucky. They got money. They got this. They got connections. No, it was daily consistent investments into yourself, whether that's monetary or time or both. But uh, yeah, that's, that's a big um, misnomer, I feel like, that a lot of people think is that uh, you have to have all those nice things in order to like be successful. And really, I see them as like, is this going to take away from me being more successful? So if I bought a Rolex when I was in car sales, it would have actually taken away from the success that I'm having now. Yeah. If I would have bought a Lamborghini like now, it would take away from what I'm trying to do in the future. Now buying a Rolex does not take away anything. It does not affect anything. It, it made zero difference in what the business is going to do and what it does. And so that's why I really think it's important to get to a point to where whatever you buy no longer affects what you're going to do because, you know, I still have enough money to invest in myself and I'm still going to spend the same amount of money as I would have anyway. And you, you think about being in the 1% or being in the 5%, you know, 95% of people don't get 30 minutes of exercise a day, movement a day. And so it's actually not as difficult as you would think. It just takes a, it just takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of commitment. So for, you know, the first four years before we even started investing in real estate, we were listening to books on Audible. We were listening to podcasts like the Ed Milet podcast. We were attending seminars like the Fortune Builder seminar and then getting our money back afterwards. <laughs> we, <laughs> you should still pay for it, even if you uh, end up paying the $197 or whatever, it's 100% worth it. But, you know, we were consistently investing in ourselves and then it doesn't actually take that much. It just takes a lot of consistency and a lot of doing the same thing over and over again, compounding those habits uh, so that they can manifest themselves, you know, in, in your person. And yeah. with the seminars too, I, I believe that, uh, you know, Grant Cardone said spend $100,000 on yourself. I think the sooner that you do that, the more you can experience the results. I don't think very many people are willing to spend five thousand dollars a year on improving themselves they might you know do a 200 300 seminar here and there some continuing ed and barely get anything out of it but like when you spend the big bucks the paid stuff is worth it or or they'll get their collagen and the lips or they'll get this or they'll spend gym memberships whatever but they don't think the mental part yeah. Is something that they need to worry about, and it is not not just the mental, the spiritual, yeah. the spiritual part. If you're not right inside, it comes out. Eventually, it comes out. What you're putting in comes out of you. And if you're not right mentally, if you're not right spiritually, if you're not right physically, whatever it is, it's very hard to be a well-rounded person if you're 100%. not happy. Mm-hmm. And if you're not spending time on your happiness, who will ever do it for you? Right. You can love someone. I love my wife. But ultimately, her happiness is up to her. Yeah, I can't. I can't provide that. I can provide a sounding board. I can provide a relationship where she's open to be herself. But ultimately, if she likes going to get her nails done and she likes to travel with her girlfriends and do whatever, and I'm not a part of that, that's okay. If that's what makes her happy, but you have to know and go get it because nobody's going to do that for you. Yeah, not in my opinion, anyway. No, hundred percent. Also, I wanted to plug this too. Uh, massive awareness seminar coming to Fort Wayne, July twenty eighth to thirtieth. If you're into personal development, it's a Friday, a Saturday, and Sunday. You got to take all three days off. But you were talking about raising your frequency and being on your purpose. After that seminar, you're going to be so jazzed up. And you're going to wish that you brought your wife, and you're going to wish that you brought your kids. And then 
uh, I would say like residually, you'll keep about 50% of that energy going really? forward too. That's awesome. Yeah, just massive awareness. How was that Ed Milet? That's who, that's who, uh, who came back from their, their family reunion out there. They, he said he, that there was a dry eye in the room is what he said. Oh, really? So he, where yeah. did he go? So he was in their, their family reunion this year for K-Dub is in Texas, but he was out in California, so I don't know. Oh, so he had that as a speaker. Yes. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah, and yeah. And he said he was extremely good. Sent me the link for his podcast mm -hmm. and all that. I've seen him on a couple other shows that he's he's done. The the one more, the one more rep guy. But what did you yeah. guys get out of that when you guys were out there? Uh, so I Tony did not go, um, but um, I mean to his house in California. I've seen Ed Milet speak yeah, a couple times in Texas. So I went to a seminar of Ed, and then I went to his house. Um, so Jordan Wildman went with me to uh, the first one where it was like the seminar and then we went to his house for a little bit. Then I got some like one-on-one -on -one time with him, which was crazy. But the, the most important thing is exactly like, the funny thing is, this is the craziest part and this is gonna suck for all you guys in a way, but it, it's actually so simple. We all know what to do. It's like getting abs, man. You know exactly what to do to get abs. You know what to do. Spray it's paint. Just, yeah, exactly. Spray <laughs> paint. But you know exactly what to do. And that's the craziest part is like all it is is tactful ways to get you to do exactly what you know you need to do. And so that's what Ed helps with. But he talks exactly like what you said. It's it's important to be a, a, a well-rounded person. So he talked a lot about spirituality. Like, honestly, we prayed in the beginning, like it was amazing. And there's a bunch of billionaires in this room and most of them like credit their like gifts and stuff to God. And like, that was the only way that they could get through because they're well-rounded. If you look at them all, they're all in pretty dang good shape. They all like have great relationships. A lot of people, like the people that Ed surrounds himself with have good relationships because I think it's a misnomer that if you get rich, you have to have bad relationships too. You have to work hard, you have to work 65 hours a week and then you lose everything. You do have to work hard and maybe there's different times that you're gonna work harder than others, but I don't, I, I can't, make that belief in my head that it's one or the other i just can't because i'm gonna have both like it's it's gonna have to be possible for me because like i want to be successful but i also want good relationships i want a good relationship with god i want to be healthy i want all of it and so that's a lot of what he talked about is just different ways to do that and um yeah it's honestly very much simple stuff that a lot of times you already know, but he just puts it in a way and attaches it to your emotions, which is the most important thing. When you can attach your outcome to your emotions or your daily standards to your emotions, it's crazy what you can achieve. I agree, I agree. What, uh, yeah, I was gonna ask you something about the, uh, about your takeaways from him, but so what, so you guys went to the seminar and then you got to go hang out at his house with him? Dakota, yeah. Dakota spent more money than his Rolex on <laughs> getting, uh, buying the books. So Ed didn't specifically tell you what you were going to get, right? Well, the first one was like, uh, the books were not more expensive than the Rolex. The books were like, uh, 55, $6,500. That was for the event. Then you go out there, you talk to, uh, you hear a bunch of speakers and stuff. It was a one day thing. But, but he just told you you were going to his house. He didn't tell you all yeah. the value you were going to get. Right. Yeah. So he didn't talk about all the other speakers or anything. There was John Good. There was a lot of other pastors. There was a lot of big speakers there. Um, and then we go to his house and then hung out for a couple hours. Then after that, then they like had a pitch where you basically could spend $20,000. Then you get to go to Ed's house with him, like on more on a one-on-one -on -one setting. And there was a group of like eight people with that I was with that we all went to Ed's house and spent the entire day with them. So then I did that as well. And it was, uh, yeah, I have a lot of notes and stuff that I'd go over. But like I said, he just talked for tactful ways to accomplish a lot of what, you know, we already accomplished. The funny thing is like, it's again the similar stuff to what my coach says which we spent some money on a on a coach who's actually local here it's right. so crazy how these guys when you get to the highest level they're telling you such similar things and that's how i think you really know that it's legitimate because whenever you go to this seminar that tony's talking about the psi seminar it's the same stuff that these high level guys are talking about ed Milet, tony robbins it's the same thing that my coach is saying who works with like chuck surak like the biggest ceos out there it's the same thing and when it all is making this sense and you're like you know intuitively just like when you said it's your mind it's your body it's your spiritual it's like it's all of this stuff you know intuitively that's true but it's not easy so it's like you can know it logically and so people don't like that people don't like it if it's like yeah i know that yeah i know that i know that cool have you done it 
but probably not because you haven't actually done it because you think you already know and a lot of times again like you talked about earlier it's usually your ego that's actually holding you back because it's so simple and so easy that you don't like it you want it to be more complex when it's actually really easy it's just hard to actually implement that's what I found from everything that I learned from him and everything that I learned from everybody else is it's all so easy. It's all so easy that people just don't like how easy it is to understand and comprehend, but it's so hard to implement on a consistent basis. It's so difficult. I, and I think part of that goes to because it is difficult, right? I mean, most people don't spend any time thinking. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just... Mm-hmm. It, this is true. Most people don't spend 20, 30 minutes a day, an hour or two a week, just thinking about how your life is going. Yeah. And they and self-reflection for me, as I'm getting older, has probably been the, the most painful and the most eye-opening thing that I've ever experienced. Because now you realize that the product you're putting out into the world is probably not the product you think the world is receiving from you. Mm. When you start to, well, like these podcasts, you start to see how you talk. Yeah. When you start to hear yourself recorded and the things you say and the way you deliver it and the information you're delivering and the, your posture and all these things. And you think to yourself, Oh, I, I know what I'm doing. I'll stand in front of a room. And then you see a video and you're like, yeah, huh? Huh, I didn't record that one beforehand, you know, and you can tell, you yeah. know, your delivery isn't right. You're there's just a lot of things that you learn about yourself if you're willing to be honest. 100%. And that's that's the hard part, man. Being honest is yeah. Everybody likes honesty till you're honest with them, right? Yep. 100 <laughs> said that. That's real. Yeah. Right? Nobody wants to hear the the gosh honest truth about, well, how did I sound? Well, I mean, do you want the real answer? Do you want what makes you feel good? And right. most of the time we raise our hand. We want the feel good. 100%. And, it, and it's easier. It's easier. And then you realize that, man, all these guys have gone through the same stuff. Mm-hmm. You, there's no easy. There's no magic bean. There's no magic pills. There's no medicine you can take. There's no affirmations I can listen to at night. until you're going to have to go through the struggles. You're yeah. going to have to get kicked down a few times and want to get out of the business and fight through it and come back and... You know, like that Ed in my life. I mean, that's a cool story, man. He's yeah. a he's a neat dude. Yeah. I feel like he's a normal dude. He is. You know? Dude, that's one of the biggest takeaways. That's the last thing I'll say about this. So we're going to get into some closing questions. But that's the biggest thing that I learned. And I came back and I told all my friends is I was like, dude, these guys are not that different, actually. I thought I literally did think that they had giftedness. I thought that they were another level. And then I realized, no, dude, these guys are just the same as because you see them on stages and then you see them like in it's different areas. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, you're just like, oh, you you like correlate in your mind that they're another level. And then when I met them, I was like, actually, I know I know some friends of mine that have more giftedness than this guy. And he's this guy's worth 800 million and my friend's not even a millionaire yet but my friend has more talent i can tell like i literally can feel the difference in the energy and i'm like obviously there's a big age difference and that's what i i tell him i was like dude i came back and realized that these guys that are at the level they're not as different as i thought they were and like they're really not they're 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 normal guys and they just they've implemented everything that they've taught and they've done it better than us that's it but they're not different it's like they when they say don't ever meet your heroes. Yeah, right. I'm, it's like meeting Tiger Woods. Yeah. When I when I go to watch him play, and you're like, oh man, I thought you'd be, I don't know, like a halo or something yeah, around right. you or glowing, and then you yeah. meet him, and you're just like, this guy is just more dedicated than every person I've ever met. Yep. And that's all it is. And back to the whole feeling good and doing things. Like we convince ourselves, oh, I don't feel good today, so I'm not going to go do it. But when if you just dedicate yourself to something. For a few years, the results have to be good. Yeah. If you're consistent, and yeah. that's, you know, typically you you push until the the push comes back, mm-hmm. and then oh, you back off. Yep. And if you just keep showing up, most of the time it works out. Hundred percent. Yeah. This is our uh, most famous ending question. Okay. So, uh, it we're off into the future. I'm gonna get. Are you 47 or 48? 48. 48. All right. So you got 42 years left, or 52, 52 52 years years left. Okay. Okay. You're 100, you're at the end of your life, and uh, you've got an hour left, and you have your final message to the world. So it could be a sentence or a paragraph. It could be a billboard in Times Square or your last legacy statement that people will remember you by. What's something that you think that the world needs to hear 
that is specifically Scott Saylor's final breath, final message. Mm, man, you could at least give me a heads up on this, man. I could do a little prep work or something. Man, you could at least give me a heads up. No, no, no punch list, no notes or anything. I just got to come up with this stuff. Hey, we had like 57 podcasts before we had you on. You know, watch one of them. I, I'd be lying, man. See, like I watched mine get to the end, though. See what yeah, happened. all the way to the end. See what happened. Like, I was just skimming it. Yeah, he's, like, he's like, you remember those 15-second clips you make? Like I see those. Like button. Yeah, like button. <laughs> and this guy, this guy, I just give this guy for everything. That's my emoji, the, the arm for everything. <laughs> I like it, that was strong. <laughs> um, oh boy, what would my message be? Mm. Everybody feels the same amount of fear as you do. Right? That's the truth. The biggest difference is how you frame it. Mm. If you can convince yourself to be a long commercial or a long billboard. But if you can convince yourself that that same feeling that you call excitement is the same thing you call fear and you can get your brain, like you said, if you can get somehow the, the action related to the feeling, then it becomes very simple. Right. But if people, the people go me included, because there's a time when I was your age and I thought everybody was looking at me. Right. And then you get a little older, you're like, nobody cares, man. Nobody cares. But if you could get over that, that ego, that pride, and just understand that everyone feels the same fear and just go try it. Like, that's it. That's it. If you just tried enough stuff with a little consistency, man, you can accomplish a lot of stuff, but it's hard. You know, you have, you have things that your parents have been convincing you of since you were in the womb, you know, the, the things they talk about, those fears that come out, your grandparents are, oh, you get a job, don't go sell anything. Mm -hmm. You got to have an hourly job and they guaranteed pay the, the, the mindset has changed. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, so that, that would probably be my biggest takeaway would be just stop being wimps. Just go try things. Mm -hmm. What's the worst that can happen? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, if you don't like it, you can, you were looking for a career when you tried this one. If it doesn't work, what'd you lose? Yeah. You know, so I think that'd be my biggest takeaway. I love it. That's awesome. funny. That's exactly what my post was about today, which is uh, very similar to that. Everything that you talked about is, uh, yeah. And last thing that I'll say that I'll leave you guys with a quote that I think you heard at the last one that I really, really like. And I always talk about whenever I think about fear, because dude, every single thing that we do, we're still scared. Every deal we do, it's scary. I'm like, oh man, we might lose money. I'm a little scared. We're starting a new business. It's scared. Oh, we're buying this commercial property. It's kind of scary. We're, we're buying the RIA. Is it going to work out? It's always scary no matter what. But fear is an emotion and courage is a choice. So feeling the fear is an okay feeling. It's okay to feel that. But again, what you decide to do with it is up to you. So it's like you talked about, you can have hard stuff come up and then you got to decide on what you're going to do whenever you feel the feeling of, I don't want to do this. I don't want to wake up. I don't want to work out. I'm scared. Cool. Everybody feels that. What are you going to do? Yeah, I agree. That feeling ruins your day. Yeah. If you don't address whatever it is that's bothering you right now, that will eat your whole day up and mm -hmm. affects everything. And you can't get over it. You can't emotionally get over it physically, mentally, whatever it is until you've handled it. And then once you do it, usually isn't as bad as you thought it'd be in the first place. 100%. So yeah, that's good stuff. I love that quote, by the way. Cool. All right. Well, thank you again for coming on. Thank you guys for watching. We'll see you on the next one. Peace.